Thanks for being with us uh, this weekend. If you're here in the auditorium or if you're watching through live stream, uh, glad that you're with us. And uh, even before we jump into our conversation today, I have one thing I want to draw your attention to. Easter is only two weeks away, kind of sneaking up on me at least, probably sneaking up on all of us. And so we want to draw your attention to the fact that we are adding a few services for that weekend. And if you call Grace Church home, love to have you check those out and maybe even attend one of the services that we added for that weekend. That would be a big help as we have some guests coming in to try Grace out for the first time. And uh, that will be a big service to them. And uh, also, speaking of guests, if you're thinking about maybe inviting some friends or family that don't have a church home or don't have a, a church that would teach them about Jesus, love to encourage you to extend an invitation. It's a great time just to experience grace and uh, to celebrate Easter together. So make sure to keep that on the radar as that is coming up here real quick. And uh, we started off a new series just last weekend uh, called Spiritual Acts and Why We Do Them. And I think we've all probably had this experience at one time or another where you, you ever sit in a church service and think, I'm watching what's happening, but I have no idea really what's going on. Like, why are they doing that? Why do we do the things that we do at church? And, and I think probably all of us have experienced those questions at some time or another. And if we grew up in church, those, those questions may have surfaced later, right? As we became more reflective about our faith, we started to ask, I wonder why we do that. Why do we sing songs to God, right? Why do we baptize people? Like, what, what is that all about? What's the meaning behind that? And if you're like me and you didn't grow up in the church, those questions hit like a freight train, right? The first couple times you actually experience a church event, you're loaded with those questions. I talked about that a little bit last week, and I didn't grow up in church, and my first church experiences my, my head was running with, with lots of questions of what is that and why are we doing that and what's the meaning and the purpose behind it. And so we said, well, let's just take a few weeks and look at a handful of different spiritual acts, right? different things that we would do regularly as a church and just ask the question, why do we do that? What's the meaning behind it? And what's it all about? And if you are exploring a faith in Jesus or maybe if you're newer in your faith in Jesus, I think this series is going to be really, really helpful. Uh, these kind of conversations were so helpful for me as I started to follow Christ as a young adult. And so I think it'll be eye-opening and, uh, and very helpful. And if you've been following Jesus for a long time, I think there can add, add a lot of refreshment and meaning and even new perspective potentially uh, to some of the things that we do at church all the time. So this series, we're talking about worship and baptism and communion. We started off last weekend uh, talking about worship. Why do we specifically sing songs to God on a regular basis? What's that all about? And so last weekend, if you missed that conversation, I encourage you to catch up online. Kind of watch that. You can do that through graceohio.org or through the app and uh, kind of understand the reasoning behind why we would worship on a regular basis and why it's so important. And what we're going to do today is we're going to have a great conversation on baptism, baptism, and baptism is loaded. In the last handful of years, a baptism has accumulated some baggage around it, and even I know that as I say that word, baptism, uh, there's all kinds of different pictures that might pop into our minds. Uh, depending on our, our traditions and our faith background, uh, we might be thinking of different things when we say that word. Some of us would have, have the, the picture of a baby being sprinkled and being kind of baptized, and that would be our picture of baptism, right? Some of us would, would think, Baptism is not something I could do. That's for really like serious spiritual people. Like I, I'm, I don't know if I'm good enough to be baptized. Might, might pop into the minds of some of us. 
Uh, some of us would have pictures of adults and children being baptized, kind of being immersed or dunked down into water. That's actually what the word baptism means, is to be immersed and to be dipped down into water. And some of us are just thinking, I have no idea why I would ever get soaking wet in front of hundreds of people. Like, there's no way I'm ever doing that, right? So I realize there's all kinds of things in our minds as we start a conversation around baptism who knows what, what all the perspectives could be? And if for me, I, I tend to think, when I think of baptism, one of the things I think about is a, a minor pastoral blooper that I experienced one time uh, while baptizing somebody. It was pretty solid, a solid level blooper. Here's how, you gotta understand how this happened. So for me, I never had seen a baptism growing up, like ever, right? So when I was baptized, I was baptized here at Grace. We had what's called a baptismal. It's like a tank. You know, it's like a little pool, maybe 10 foot by, by five or six feet wide. And what you would wade into it till about here. And a Pastor Jeff baptized me. So he waded into the, the baptismal pool with me, you know. And, and here at Grace, we baptized three times forward. The, the technical term for that is triune immersion we just affectionately call it the triple dunk, right? So I was triple dunked by Pastor Jeff, and, right, and I, we waded into the water, and that's what I knew of baptism. Well, then when I went to baptize my first person that I was going to baptize, I baptized them in a river. It was really cool. It was actually in the Jordan River over in Israel, and, and we waded into the water, right, about up to here, and, and I did the same thing. I, I triple dunked them. I baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and in my mind, Baptism, the way that you're going to baptize somebody, you're going to get in the water with them. It's just like the way that it was just stuck in my head as that's how you baptize someone. The baptizer needs to be kind of in the pool or in the river, in the whatever, with the person being baptized, which always works unless you have a small baptismal. Right, so we bought this nice little tank right here. I don't know if you can see it. It's about this wide, right? It's about, about yay wide. And uh, I remember when we bought it, we had a baptism service pretty shortly after that. And, and I'm thinking in my head, I hadn't seen it yet. I'm thinking, oh yeah, well, I'm gonna bring my swimming trunks and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in the water with the person I'm baptizing. So of course, when we bought this, uh, we had a service and I was the first one up. So I had my swimming trunks on. Yeah, this happened. And I stood inside of this tank, this little tub right here, right? And so the first, there's a line of people being baptized. A bunch of us are gonna baptize somebody. And the first guy that's up to baptize that I'm gonna be baptizing is this huge muscle-bound guy with huge, huge back, like huge monster lats. And he walks up and I think to myself, that is a large man, right? And I'm like, I, this might be a little tight for me to be in the tub while I baptize this guy. We'll see how it works out, right? So I'm in the water now, and he comes up, and I'm interviewing him, asking him about his story, right, how he came to know Jesus and what God's been doing in his life. And it was somewhere about the time that he wrapped up kind of talking about his story. He gave the mic over, and I watched this gigantic man kneel down in the tub, and I thought, I have made an error, right? <laughs> I have made a biff on this thing. And, he, and he, he kneels down and he puts his giant hand in my hand and I put my hand on the back of his head and I think, well, I'm like past the point of no return. I'm gonna go ahead and do it. And so I just, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit, man, I did the swivel baptism, and boy, I have been mocked for years about this, and you can all be included in my mockery. But there's all kinds of stuff to baptism, right? How do you do it, and when do you do it, and who does it, and who can do it? All, all those questions can surround the conversation around baptism. What I want to do for the sake of our conversation, our time together, I, I can't deal with all of it. I want to drill down and really just answer one question about baptism. Why do we do it? Why do we do it? What does it symbolize? What does it mean? Right? And so what we're going to do in the course of our time together is I need to lay a little bit of groundwork and explain some of, some of the different motivations behind baptism, what it is a little bit, and then I want to spend a lot of time drilling down into answering that question, why? Right? Why do we do it and what does it mean? And, and here's the thing, when we walk through some of these definitions of what baptism is, we're, we're going to kind of increase our depth of motivation as we unpack it. Right, the, the first one I want to start us off with here is this statement. A baptism is something that Jesus asked his followers to do. Jesus asked his followers to do. So if you're taking notes, jot that down. Baptism is something that Jesus asked his followers to do. And we would, we would understand this idea from the book of Matthew, something we call the Great Commission. I'll just read it to you. You don't need to turn there. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Matthew says this. He says, then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always uh, to the very end of the age. So Jesus would look and, and say, if you are my follower, I want you to be baptized. Here, here's kind of what's happened in this passage. Jesus has risen from the dead at this point. He's looking at his disciples who have spent the last few years with him, and he's saying, I'm going to give you kind of what we would call the Great Commission, and what he wants his disciples to now go do is to help other people who aren't yet followers of Jesus become a follower of Jesus. And part of them becoming a follower of Jesus, a disciple, is that they would be baptized, that they would be immersed that they would be dunked in water, right, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so for Jesus, th this really isn't an option for a Christ follower. If we had to boil it down, baptism is kind of, it's an act of obedience. It's something that Jesus has kind of asked and required of his followers. So we need to know that, that that's at the baseline motivation. It's something that Jesus has asked us to do. Now, it's gonna go, of course, much deeper than that, right? Baptism isn't, is more than just a, a requirement. It's more than just an act of obedience. Although it will always be around, as long as the church exists, people will be baptized. There's another layer deeper that we would take a motivation of baptism. Here's the next one that we wrote down uh, up on the screen here. Baptism is a public profession of faith in Christ. Uh, baptism is a public profession of faith in Christ. So I might look at baptism and say, why would I get baptized? I want to get baptized to obey Jesus. It's something he asked me to do. Another layer deeper is I, I want to make my faith a public faith. Right? A lot of times here at Grace, we would say it this way, uh, faith in Jesus is personal, but it's not private. 
It's personal, but it's not private. I personally interact with Jesus. We believe that our faith in Jesus is relational, right? It's not systematic. I'm not following a system or a religion. I'm interacting with a person, and that shows up personally. But because that relationship, my relationship with Jesus is the most defining relationship that I'll ever have, there's no way I could hide that, and and there's no way I would ever want to hide that. I want to make my faith public. It's a public pronouncement of what I believe in my heart and what I've decided to do with my faith. Sometimes people will ask me, Ryan, can't you just like, can't you come to the house and baptize me in my pool or in my bathtub? I'm like, not unless you're going to jam like 100 people in that room, you know, and and have somebody watch you. Because the point is, is that I would gather my family and friends together and, and in front of them, I would pronounce or declare my faith in Jesus. It's public. It's a profession, and it's proclaiming that, man, I am in on this following Jesus thing. Baptism is something Jesus asked me to do. Baptism is a public profession of my faith. And the next one is going to take us really into the deepest layer, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time. Uh, Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward transformation. Right, baptism is an outward symbol of an inward transformation. If you're taking notes, jot that down. So baptism, a few things on this. Baptism does not save me. When I am baptized, I am not being saved in the moment. I get baptized because I already am saved, because I already have a relationship with Christ. And here's kind of the illustration that I heard that made a ton of sense to me. When you think about your wedding ring, Wedding ring is a great parallel to what baptism is as a symbol. When I stood in front of Lori, my wife, and I declared my vows to her and she declared her vows to me, uh, Pastor Jeff married us and he asked us a question after we dedicated ourselves to each other. He said, what tokens do you give or what symbols do you give to represent these marriage vows? And we said, these rings. And, And my ring does not make me married. If I could take it off my finger, I would, and I would show you that taking my ring off does not remove my marriage. If I I lose it, if I get rid of it, it doesn't undo my marriage. It's simply, it's a symbol. It's representation so that whenever anybody looks at me, they go, oh yeah, that guy's married. And it's it's representation and reminder of my relationship with my wife. On the flip side, Uh, If I'm not even dating anybody and I go buy a wedding band and I put that thing on, that doesn't make me married, right? right? It's always connected symbolically to something deeper, an inward decision, an inward transformation. That's what's going on in baptism. Baptism is symbolic and it's a decision that a Christ follower makes when they can actually make a decision to follow Jesus. That's why here at Grace we believe in, we call believer's baptism, where where we would engage baptism when I'm old enough to understand what Jesus has done for me. This inward transformation, though, I'm gonna ask you guys to buckle up with me. This thing actually goes pretty deep. It's actually a pretty profound set of truth. You're gonna have to stay with me because we're gonna dive into some deep waters here. And I'm gonna have you open up uh, your Bible into Romans chapter six. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to that, Romans 6, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, 
Uh, you can grab one from underneath your chairs, and it's page 799 in those Bibles. Uh, open up there with me. And we're not even going to actually read it just yet. We're after actually going to lay some groundwork before we open up this passage. But I want you to turn there and to be ready to read along with me. So Paul, in the book of Romans, is he's in a series of thought, almost an argument that he's laying out. And he is assuming some things before he shows up here in Romans chapter six. And here's what he's assuming. I wanna lay some groundwork before looking at this passage. Paul is assuming that somebody that is gonna come and approach Jesus and want to follow Jesus has a certain position of their heart and attitude in their life. Here's what I mean. Somebody who's looking to follow Jesus from Paul's perspective as he writes the book of Romans, is he's going to see somebody and their relationship to sin is gonna be one of slavery. So he's gonna look and say, somebody who wants to follow Jesus is approaching Jesus like this. They're coming to Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, I am so sick and tired of being attached to sin. Can you please help me? I'm sick and tired of greed running my life. I'm sick of selfishness coming up and, and ruining my relationships. I wish envy could stop affecting the way that I view people. I wish I could actually just genuinely celebrate the successes of others. Uh, but this sin is driving me nuts. It's, it's owning my life. And I wish you would set me free from it. I wish you could change me from the inside out. Paul is assuming that the person coming to Jesus to be saved is ready to be changed and ready to be set free from sin. This picture, man, this is so personal to me because when I, when I came to know Jesus as a young adult, I was right here. I never could have put this language to it. Right? I never could have said, oh, I'm a slave to sin. Here's what I knew. I knew that there were some things in my life that I could change, and I was changing those. I was, I was improving as a person. And there are some pieces of my life, some attitudes and habits and right, things that I just could not stop. I couldn't get rid of them, and I wanted to. I, I read all the self-help books I could read. I, I talked to everybody that I thought had any wisdom. I tried to gain insight and advice on how to change. I, I doubled down my efforts and my willpower. I've got a decent amount of willpower just like you do, right? I tried to change and I couldn't. I couldn't, I, I did everything that I knew how to do. And I was at a point where I, I would say, I, I couldn't call it sin because I didn't know that word, but I would say, I need help to change. I wish someone could come and help me with that. I'm a slave to sin. This is, is the backdrop of what Paul's gonna be talking about here in a minute. And it's actually gonna be the backdrop we're gonna see of why we would get baptized. Pause that picture for a minute. Stay with me. As we read this passage, I want you to look for a few things. As we read through this passage, Paul's gonna talk about some things that are true of Jesus that now have become true of us. I want you to look for those things. Look, look for what he's talking. He's gonna say things that would be true of Jesus and now somehow have become true of us. Stay with me and we will bring this all the way through to conclusion. 
Romans 6.1, look for those things. Here's what Paul says. What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be, here's our phrase, slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In conclusion, Paul says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master. Now watch how this works. Paul's gonna say, if in so many words, we know what's happened to Jesus, right? We would be familiar with this story. We know that Jesus has experienced death. We know that he died for the sake of defeating and ending sin. That's why Jesus lived a perfect life and offered himself on the cross is to pay for and to put an end to sin. We know that Jesus then was buried. He experienced a burial that his life completely ended. It's not just that he suffered, he also died. And then in death, supernaturally, God raised him from the dead. He is physically alive even now as we speak because he has been resurrected. He's experienced resurrection. That's what we're gonna celebrate on Easter, right? the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now here's the mind-blowing part we're gonna move into. Watch how this works. Paul's gonna say that the things that are true of Jesus will become true of me when I put my faith in Jesus. Here's the thing. The decision to follow Jesus, here's how this works kind of logically. The decision to follow Jesus is a decision to be joined to Jesus. Right? The decision to follow Jesus is a decision to be joined to Jesus. Paul's gonna look at us and say, when I say yes to Jesus, I'm in some very real way connected to Jesus and a series of things that are true of Jesus now become true of me. I'm joined to him. It's what Bible scholars call being united to Christ. I'm joined to him. Let me give you an example. Imagine there's an orphan who's old enough to make a decision. 
And that orphan is living with a family that, that loves them. And that orphan looks at that family that loves them and says, I want you to adopt me. And that family looks back at that orphan and says, I want to adopt you. The moment that transaction, that decision takes place, all kinds of things become true in that orphan's life that were not true before. Why? Because that orphan is joined into the family. They're included, they're united into that family. And now all kinds of things that are true of the family become true of them. So they get and they join into the family name, right? They're now called by that name. They join into the family responsibilities and privileges and rights. They, they get to, to share in the inheritance of that family. The story of the family now becomes their story. And everything that it means to be a part of that family now is true of them. Why? Because they've joined into it. They've been legally included into that family. This is the mind-blowing part. For someone that's looking to follow Jesus, for someone that's found Jesus, this has become true of them. Paul would say, for the person who has said, I am trapped in my sin, I want to change but can't change, I'm gonna call out to God and say, God, change me, save me, rescue me. When I call out to God and I ask for his help in my life, I'm joined to Jesus and now watch, what is true of Jesus now becomes true of me. So I get to join into the death of Jesus for sin. And now Jesus, who died for sin, he did that so that I could die to sin. When, when I put my faith in Jesus, the death that Jesus died is now activated in my life. Jesus died for sin so I could die to sin. This doesn't show up and apply in my life until I put my faith in Christ. And now the Bible would say that I am dead to sin, that, that sin has lost its power or its hold or its grip on me. And now in a very real way, my sinful nature, which the Bible says that I have, is broken. The chains are broken and I'm set free from sin. You might say, does that mean we're perfect? No way. Well, we're habitual sinners, I am. I'm in the habit of sinning my whole life and it's gonna take me the rest of my days here on earth to get out of that habit. But the power of sin is broken. What that means is I don't have to say yes to sin anymore where before I did. I don't have to be ruled by greed. I don't have to be ruled by selfishness. I don't have to listen to the voice of my culture. I don't have to be a slave anymore. Why? Because what's true of Jesus is now true of me. And watch, this goes deeper and it goes farther. Paul would say, right here in the passage, that I have been buried with Christ. That my old life is gone. It's done. It's as if it's six feet under. It's, I've experienced a burial of Jesus and my old self is completely destroyed. 
And, and then we would say this way, Jesus was resurrected so that I could have a new life. I join into the resurrection that Jesus has experienced and now I am something new from start to finish. The death of Jesus breaks the power of sin in my life. My old self, the way that I would define myself, the things that would define me, define me no longer, I've become something else. The Bible would say that I would be born again and now I am something new. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of me and he produces a new kind of life for me. Now, not only do I have the ability to say no to sin, now I have the ability to say yes to becoming like Jesus. Now, within me, not because I'm a good person or because I go to church or because I turned over a new leaf, but because God came and made his home inside me, he produces within me love, joy, peace, patience, supernatural love. This is the miracle of what's taken place inside of everyone who's followed Jesus. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has become activated in my life. And what we see in baptism is that picture. Here's how it works. When I go down into the water, what's being symbolized is my death to sin that I've joined into with Jesus. When I go all the way under and the water completely covers my body, what it symbolizes is my burial to my old life. When I come up out of the water, what's being represented here is, is the fact that I am something completely new, that, that I have been raised with Jesus and I'm something new and that the death, burial, and resurrection has been activated in my life and the results of that begin not one day when I die and go to heaven, it begins now. Because like the Bible says, Right in 2 Corinthians, I am a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I have been raised to a brand new life. And that is powerful stuff. That, that's what baptism is communicating. It doesn't save me. It's representing the salvation, the transformation, this inward renewal that I've had from the inside out could say it this way in baptism in baptism we bring closure to the old life and we bring celebration to the new life what I'm doing is I'm, I'm gathering a group of people in a room and I'm saying I want you all to know I'm done with this I'm not saying I'm going to be perfect what I'm saying is Jesus has set me free and I want to put my old life away I'm done with that and I want everybody in that room to know that I am something new. I want you to know that I love God and that God loves me and he's made me new from the inside out. I have been rescued. I'm a new creation. When I stood and I declared my vows to my wife and she declared her vows to me on our wedding day, it's kind of a picture of this. Right, because when all my friends were in that room and family, it's almost like I'm looking at the guys in the room that I would have hung out with and I was saying to the guys in the room, guys, it's been fun, right? We've, we've hung out a lot. We've spent a lot of time together. It's been great. We're not gonna be able to spend as much time together anymore. Why? 
because the singleness part of my life is ending. I'm bringing closure to this phase of my life and I'm beginning another phase of my life. Everything's changed and I want you to know it. Right, for the ladies in the room, I was like, ladies, you've had your chance, right? It's, it's over. Singleness is done. I'm marrying this woman. We're starting a new phase of our life and I, I want everyone to see that this part has closed and this new part has opened. And in our relationship with Christ, boy, that's everything. It's the, it's the core, it's the center of our faith. Boy, it's all captured right there in baptism. I've died to sin. My old life's been buried and my new life is here. And I get to live it now. So what do we do with this? It's a good question. How do we walk away? I, I think the first question I want to ask as I'm hearing this conversation, looking at the why behind this spiritual act of baptism, is I have to start and ask myself the question, have I been joined to Jesus? Right? Has, has his death, burial, and resurrection been activated in my life because I put my faith in him? Is if you're like me and you would say, I, I know that I'm still trapped in sin. I know I need to change. I know something's missing. I've done all that I can and I don't know what to do. I need someone to help me. I'm just being honest. Right? That's exactly what God wants to hear. He wants us to meet him in that place. And if you're there, you would say, Jesus, save me and he would say I want you to understand I lived a perfect life I died an innocent death to set you free from sin and if you believe that that sin has been released in your life it's been broken it's been paid for and the ramifications of that begin now you have a power to say no to sin that begins immediately and, and you've been raised to new life and you can know me and have a relationship with me right now and that life will move on into eternity past this life. If you've never made that decision to experience inward transformation, it's gotta start there. Say yes to Jesus. Reach out to him. As many of us would look at this picture on the whiteboard and we would say, that's happened in my life. I know Jesus. Yeah, that, I get it. That makes sense to me. And for us, I think we've got to ask the question, have I ever actually gone through with it and been baptized to represent what's happened to me on the inside? Have I done it? Because listen, if you, if you know Jesus today and you've never been baptized, hear me, it's time. It's time to do it. I'm not talking about if you were baptized as a baby. I'm saying because of your faith in Jesus, have you gone through with the act of being baptized? Some of us might think, I don't know if I'm good enough. You don't have to be good enough. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, that's all you need. Somebody say, it's been too long or it's been too soon. It doesn't matter. You can be baptized if you have been changed. And we want to help you with that. 
We scheduled some classes for baptism next weekend. If you know and you say, I know I need to be baptized, say, I need to pray about it, go ahead and pray about it, and you will find that it's God's will for your life, and then you can be baptized, right? Because God wants this stuff for us. He, he wants to see this inward transformation proclaimed outwardly. Sign up for that class. Have courage and faith and be obedient to God in that way and be baptized if you haven't. And guys, the last question for us, I think, is this one. If I've been baptized, I've been through kind of this process, I'd ask you the question, am I living in light of my baptism? Am I living like someone? This is challenging to me this week. Am I living like someone who's been set free from sin? Do I believe that actively in my life, that, that my old self is gone and that I am something completely new, a person in which God lives and God changes actively day in and day out. This is the spiritual act of baptism and it is powerful and it's wonderful and uh, I love it because today we are actually gonna see some people be baptized. Right? We get to, to see the power and the, the wonder of a changed life right here in some stories. We're gonna celebrate that together. Before we do that, I'm gonna have the band come up. They're gonna lead us into worship. I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll celebrate these changed lives together. Father, we say thank you. God, thank you for reaching out because without you, we, we never would have found a way out of our sin. Uh, Lord, I know I couldn't. I, I can't change those parts of me on my own. So God, would you teach us to, to believe and to see the magnitude of what you did for us, Jesus? Boy, and how, Lord, how real and practical and powerful your death, burial, and resurrection is for us right now. I pray for those in this room who have yet to decide to have faith in you. God, call each one to yourself. Lord, for those that want to be baptized but are afraid, give us courage. And Lord, meet us here. Help us to see what you have done in reaching out to us causing us Lord, to move from death to life. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray.